Good morning, everyone. Look, thank you very much for joining us today for the WAM microcap uh, question and answer webinar. Um, obviously, you know, we're incredibly pleased to present to you. Uh, as you'd know, as you are the shareholders, or, or we are the shareholders, then um, you know, we're only we only have the opportunity to manage this money on your behalf. So, you know, this is an opportunity to please ask us as many questions as you want, um, and, and for us to report back to you. Um, and what we're going to look at is the last financial year, you know, 2020, and then also talk about how the portfolio is positioned um, for the next you know, financial year. Obviously, the last 12 months was you know, a very extreme period, um, you know, whether you know, from the market, but also, I think, emotionally, you know, with everyone with the bushfires and now you know, the coronavirus, you know, the devastation that's been um, you know, really inflicting on the community. Uh, I'm incredibly pleased to um, you know, report, as chairman of WAM Microcap, that the investment team, um, you know, led by you know, Oscar Obergen, uh, Tobias Yao, um, has really done an exceptional job. Uh, you know, over this very difficult period, they're able to restructure the port or reposition the portfolio um, you know, when it was clear that uh, the coronavirus um, was going to was expanding globally uh, and they've been able to outperform the market by 17%, which is you know, really a, a first-class effort. Um, and then, obviously, then as a board, it, it gave the board a lot more flexibility of you know, what we what we could do in terms of paying fully frank dividends to shareholders. The you know, there's, you know, the board's announced the final fully frank dividend of three cents, uh, and because of you know, the strong performance, um, it, it was the board thought it was uh, it was important to reward shareholders uh, with a special dividend of another uh, three cents. In terms of at the end of June, yeah, you know, before the payment of these dividends, yeah, you know, we had 28.7 cents in the profit reserve. Obviously, we need profit, uh, and also we need uh, franking to, to pay fully frank dividends. Um, and on the, you know, just looking at the share price, the most recent share price, uh, when microcap, including the special dividends, is yielding about a little over six percent. Now that's fully franked, and obviously some people are fortunate enough to get those franking credits back. And if you did, then it's about eight point seven percent. Now, um, whether we can do that again next year, obviously it depends you know, how the portfolio performs. Um, but that that would, you know, we'd be hoping that we could uh, definitely maintain the dividends. And the special is there um, if if there's a reason to pay it. In terms, uh, with the result, uh, a lot of people have been asking uh, if they could increase their exposure to WAM microcap, and we thought the, you know, the, the, the fairest way was to do it by a, a share purchase plan. Uh, and and if um, there are any larger shareholders, uh, then we also are doing a placement to um, go with the share purchase plan um, to allow. You know, the, the WAM microcap sophisticated investors um, you know, an, an opportunity to maintain broadly their pro rata uh, entitlement. Um, so that's 
that's what we've got. What I'll do is I'll pass over to um, Oscar Oberg, our lead portfolio manager, um, to talk a little bit about what actually probably take us through 2020 and then um, and how he and you know, with the rest of the team reposition the portfolio. Um, and we've we've got on this call we've got Oscar uh, and we've also got the portfolio manager. Um, who works very closely with Oscar and ourselves, um, Tobias Yao. Uh, and then I'll ask the guys some questions, and then what we'll do is we'll pass over to James McNamara, who heads our corporate affairs area, uh, and he'll take you know, some general questions. So, I mean, Oscar, do you want to initially just take us through, you know, looking back on the last 12 months? Yeah, look. Thanks, Jeff, and good morning, everyone. But before I give an overview of the year, I would like to thank all of our shareholders today are on the call, and obviously not on the call, uh, for, for the, their endless support. I mean, you know, we've had a, a number of positive messages and feedback since the result, and, you know, it's really quite warming. It's obviously been a very tough six months for everyone, but I guess you know, it's been a very tough six months for the team as well, working from home. But I can, can assure you I couldn't be happy with how the team has performed in this period, and that's not just... WAM Capital, WAM Microcap, but the whole Wilson Asset Management team. So, look, to give you a, a brief summary of how 2020 played out, we started the year quite well in WAM Microcap, and we had, it was more of a continuation of 2019 with a number of our uh, larger positions within the portfolio, such as Sydney Sheet, Temple and Webster, Johns Ling and Infimedia, performing quite, quite strongly and delivering better than expected results to the February, at the, at the half year reporting season. We also had a number of takeovers through the period, such as National Vet Care, Credible Labs, and also Salmat, which boosted our performance. So I think it's fair to say we're feeling pretty good about ourselves in February. And then, of course, COVID hit. And COVID, you know, it smashed, to put, put it bluntly, microcap stocks across the ASX. And I'll give you an example of this was uh, City Sheik, which was our largest position in the fund. And just a recorded a very strong result, uh, beaten earnings expectations. Share price had gone to a high of $3.60, and three weeks later it had fallen 80% to a low of $0.70 cents a share. So, the, look, the team performed very well through this period. It was very dynamic. There was a lot of things happening, as you could imagine. Uh, and we acted pretty quickly, and we, we increased our cash holdings from around 16% in February to you know just over 40% in early March. Now, as the COVID cases began to decline, we began to deploy cash into, into positions across the portfolio that we knew well. And we also saw the emergence of an e-commerce sector building. And these are companies such as Redbubble, Marley Spoon, Kogan, Temple and Webster, City Chic. And um, you know, we, we, thought, we saw the structural shift to on, online would accelerate through this period as we were forced to stay at home through lockdown. Now, as the market began to improve through April and May, the capital raisings uh, then came through and in total, we participated in 37 capital raisings um, you know, from the lows of the market in March to the 30th of June. And the average performance of these capital raisings was around 28% from the listing price. So look, in summary, um, we're very, very pleased with the year, given the uncertainty. Um, the stock picking by the team was fantastic, um, really drove the performance, particularly in that fourth quarter, and drove the outperformance of the year against uh, the small industrials index, or sorry, the small ordinaries index, I should say. The um, now look, thanks for that, uh, Oscar. And in terms of 
You know, just looking at the next 12 months? Yeah, look, I mean, the, the first thing I'll say is things are very uncertain at the moment. And I guess on a medium-term view, it's hard to, yeah, look look at the economy and look at unemployment and, and what that'll mean for the market. But I guess sort of in the short term and in particular looking to reporting season, you know, we're, we're cautiously optimistic. And this is largely based on our view from a macro perspective that governments and central banks will continue to stimulate economies in the in the event we see second or third or fourth waves of COVID-19. I think the development of the vaccine is building globally. We're seeing over 190 companies um, developing a vaccine and uh, 27 of these are actually in the human trial phase. So we do expect uh, positive news flow potentially on a vaccine in, in the coming months, which could, which could buoy the market. So despite this positivity, it's worth noting that within the portfolio of WAM microcap, that we are much more liquid than what we were back in February. Um, we can sell 66% of the portfolio within 10 days. What this means is that if we get it wrong, we, we believe we have a greater ability to increase our cash holdings, um, to increase our cash holdings. So in terms of how we are positioned, we do see two buckets of stocks within the portfolio. The first bucket, bucket of companies, where, which we believe will benefit uh, as lockdown measures increase. And this includes e-commerce and, and, and selective technology companies. The second bucket are companies that have very strong balance sheets. And these are within sectors that will benefit as economies reopen. And these are sectors within uh, areas such as tourism, retail and automotive. We're continuing to see the capital raisings increase and we're also seeing the IPO pipeline begin to build. We're seeing companies such as Labi, AI Media and also DG Technology come to market over the coming months. So look, Jeff, in summary, we're, we're quite positive in the near term. Cash levels are sitting at around 16 to 17%, which is quite normal given we're going into reporting season. We see quite a number of attractive uh, opportunities that fit our investment process to find undervalued growth companies. And, and just with that, Oscar, I mean, one of the things that surprised me is been the, um, the incredibly strong demand that we've already seen for the share purchase plan. It's only been open for a few days, and I think we've got nearly 500 people have applied, and the average amount that they've applied for is about $14,400. Um, so, uh, so, so effectively, if if um, like if everyone applies, um, well, if half the shareholders apply, which you know, would be an amazing result, I think, did Qantas get 5% of shareholders applied for their SPP? Um, recently, I think I read, um, yeah, then everyone could get you know, $15,000. And that's, you know, some will apply for $30,000, which is the max. And obviously, you know, some people apply for less. But it, on average, it's been running at about 14500 with us so far. So assuming that money comes in, uh, and, and historically, you know, with WAM microcap, you know, philosophically, you know, when we set this up, we limited how much we we're going to raise, um, and and we've been giving special dividends to actually, you know, pay the capital back. This is the the first time that we've actually done a a, a capital raising. Uh, just take me through, you know, obviously from a board's perspective, I, I know what the answer is because we've had these discussions at board level, but just for the investors, um, you know, what, what will you do with the additional capital? 
you know, yeah, and, and how will you find an opportunity to invest it? Yeah, look, I mean, thanks, Jeff. I mean, there there are a variety of um, means that we can invest, and I think you know, just the first statement I'll make is I think we've been surprised at how since we launched the microcap back in 2017, how easy it has or easier it's been relative to some of the other funds in terms of getting set in the companies that are you know within our threshold of below $300 million in terms of market capitalisation. But I think it's fair to say the main reason that we're looking to raise money through an SPP and a placement is the changes that we're seeing at the moment in the initial public offering market. So what we've seen over the last six months is particularly due to the uncertainty caused by instances such as COVID, early stage companies are looking to conduct a small capital raising between three to six months out before they actually actually formally list on the ASX through initial public offering. Now, this pre-IPO market has traditionally been a space that we haven't played in with Wilson Asset Management. But what we're finding at the moment is because we're not playing in this space, it's actually impacting our ability to get a normal size allocation in initial public offering. Now, an example of this was a company just a few weeks ago, which recently listed, and we didn't participate in the pre-IPO phase. Now, when the actual IPO phase came around, we got an incredibly small, or much smaller than usual allocation of shares. Now, this company is well up over, over, well over 100% in the last two weeks, so that's an opportunity we've actually quite we've missed. So, look, it's worth noting for those on the call that um, we'll be very selective in the companies that we look to invest in in the pre-IPO market. And as per usual, we will continue to adhere to our investment process in finding undervalued growth companies. And look, I might just move, just flip the question across to Tobias because um, I know, you know, Tobias, you've got a, a great skill for, um, you know, doing you know, sort of deep analysis into technology companies, and I know, you know, with the other funds um, that, you know, we were very early in afterpay, you know, back at the, you know, when it when it floated. And that was, um, and, and you know, that was a great uh, boon for us. Do you want to, Tobias? Do you want to talk a little bit about the? I know Oscar touched on it as well, but just from your perspective, the opportunities that have emerged from the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, thanks, Jeff, uh, and definitely a team effort um, on many of these uh, technology names. Um, you know, we've been strong believers in the e-commerce theme and invested in the space relatively early. And as Oscar and Jeff mentioned, uh, we have materially increased our exposure over the last few months. You may remember when we presented on Templin Webster during our investor roadshow in uh, November 2019 that uh, we first put Templin Webster into the WAM microcap fund three years ago around 50 to 70 cents. Uh, the stock price is now over $8. You know, we saw the online penetration trend that was happening in the U.S. and the U.K. and felt strongly that Australia will soon uh, follow and thus the growth rate should accelerate. Uh, in addition, I know we have seen this blueprint before. You know, JB Hi-Fi as a category leader saw a 20-fold increase in sales between 2001 and 2011 and this is how we've mapped out the Templar Webster journey. You know, as we've gained more conviction, we also put Templar Webster, Webster into the WAM Capital Fund uh, very soon after. Obviously, we didn't anticipate uh, what's transpired over the last few months. 
and everyone having to work from home and permanently changing the way they shop. Um, we believe the change in this growth trajectory for many of these online businesses is permanent, you know, with first-time online shoppers liking the experience and, um, and turning into repeat customers and existing customers shopping a lot more regularly than before if, if our household is there any indication. So we continue to be bullish about the space. You know, we are invested not only in the pure online players, but also in traditional retailers, you know, with a substantial portion of their sales coming from the online channels. So companies like Adairs, uh, City Chic, uh, and Shaver Shop. Now, look, thanks for that, Tobias. And, and I know there's been a couple of questions about the share purchase plan. You know, will it be oversubscribed? Um, now, you'd be aware that it's actually quite a short um, period for the share purchase plan, a, a bit shorter than usual you know, in terms of timeline. We usually, I think historically, we've given people like for WAM Capital you know, four to six weeks. And this one was um, a little bit um, shorter. Uh, and it closes on the you know the twentieth of August. Um, effectively, if if and the question is what happens if it's oversubscribed? Now, if twenty five percent of our shareholders put in thirty thousand dollars, then it won't be oversubscribed. And as I said earlier, if if fifty percent of our shareholders put in fifteen thousand dollars, then it won't be oversubscribed. Um, so. Yeah, so you know, if it is oversubscribed, then obviously it'll be a board's decision to see whether there'll be cutbacks. But in terms of how it's um, how it's going at the moment, you know, as I said, the average is about fourteen thousand four hundred dollars that people are investing. So, um, you know, let's you know, fingers crossed, um, it's not oversubscribed. And there, there was a, a question about the placement. Uh, now, obviously, you'll have to you got to be, you need to be a sophisticated investor. You know, I think that's a bit of a yeah, there are certain rules about this, and we've been quite vocal about you know, the fact that this shouldn't be the case. Anyone should be able to participate in a placement. You know, put a couple of submissions into the Murray Review, and Kate you know, Thorley, our CEO, did a piece for the Financial Review, you know, just recently. Um, and so, and we we've been talking behind the scenes, trying to get that levelling of the playing field. Um, but in terms of in terms of the placement, if anyone does want to you know, participate in it, then Hamish Nan from Taylor Collinson is—he's—he's he's sort of the running the book build, and his phone number is 08. It's on the announcement, but it's 08 8217 3908. That's 08 8217 3908. So just contact him. Um, so there are just a couple of questions I know had come in. What what I might do is I might actually. Um, pass over to James McNamara who'll you know, take the various webinar and other questions. Thanks, James. Thanks very much, Jeff. Um, so the first question is for you, Oscar, and it's from Leon. He's asked if liquidity will be impacted uh, in any way by the increased size of the fund. You mind just commenting on that for Leon, please? Yeah, thanks for the question, Leon. Look, I... I I don't think it will be. I think it's, if you had a look at the fund today, we certainly are up at the upper end of that sort of 300 mil market cap threshold. Um, and so I think, you know, with additional funds that we do get, I think it'll be more, those are the sort of companies that we will be looking at. So I don't think 
Um, you know, I think it's fair to say, so if you looked at the portfolio back in, in February, there were a number of sort of 50 to, to a $200 million market cap companies that were there. So I think, you know, for the for the vast majority of the funds that we will reinvest in, um, you know, a lot of it will be looking at the existing positions that we have and also um, some new positions. But I think it'll sort of you, you you'll be looking at the top end of that that market cap range. Thanks, Oscar. So next question's for you, Tobias, and it's from Graham. What is your uh, your opinion of of Bub and EDE? Thanks, Graham. Um, on Bubs, we actually think Bubs is a great company. So other than A2, we believe they're probably the best uh, infant formula business um, in, in terms of the next level down um, category. You know, the management team is very experienced in China, which is their core market. Um, and I think if they can execute uh, on their aspirations, um, you know, the business could look very attractive over the next three to five years. On EDE, it's not a business that uh, we are very familiar with, uh, given the exposure um, to coal and, and, the, and the size of the market cap and the liquidity. Um, so it's so nothing to add on EDE. Thanks. And uh, next question is from Graham, staying with you, Tobias. Um, sorry, from Campbell. What price did you buy Marley Spoon at, and do you have a sell price? Yes, thanks, Campbell. So Marley Spoon, I think our average price is probably around a dollar twenty, dollar thirty. Um, you know, in terms of when do we sell? I guess, you know, in terms of how we look at these high growth e-commerce businesses, it's really important to monitor the incremental unit economics to make sure those numbers uh, still add up. Um, you know, so as long as the growth momentum continues, we will continue to hold these businesses. Um, so for Marley Spoon, in their most recent announcement, they, you know, what was really interesting is uh, they talked about the latest cohort of customers that come on to the platform, and these customers are actually demonstra demonstrating better unit economics than previous cohorts of customers. And that is really important to us because it, it's a lead indicator uh, to future growth. So, so we continue to be uh, very bullish on Marley Spoon. Thanks, Tobias. Oscar, uh, next question is from David. Biotech companies have been in the forefront of blue sky growth in the coronavirus era. Does the team have an opinion on one, whether this growth will continue, and two, whether there are plans to restructure the portfolio in that direction? Yeah, biotechs are a bit like resources companies for us at WAM Microcap. We generally don't do very well out of them. Um, look, I will say sort of, yeah, so I don't think that would generally change i don't i don't see a plan to, to to invest more into into biotechs um i guess where we have had success in biotechs is companies such as like max 7 or aroa technologies that recently listed where there are sort of um peers already on on the asx that are much larger companies so you can you, you can see the valuation of the initial public offering and compare it to the larger company and you can see the upside there but i, I think generally um, you know, there's a very small exposure to biotechs within the portfolio, and, and I think it'll stay that way going forward. Hey, I, I remember, Oscar, just butting in that years ago, I was always told that biotechs, they have one good year in 10, and they raise all their money in that one year, which keeps them going for the other nine. Anyway, <laughs> that's, that's obviously from a sceptic. So, uh, 
I know that it can be, you know, like mining companies, you know, if, if you, you, know, you specialise it, you're just, you're just taking a slightly different risk profile. Thanks, Jeff. Staying with you, Oscar, Adrian has asked uh, for your views on the reject shop. Yes, thanks for the question, Adrian. Yeah, look, the reject shop's one we've been in before back in 2016. It's been through a number of CEOs and it's had, had its own issues um, through that period. However, I guess the catalyst for us to, to buy shares in the reject shop we came from uh, the recent appointment of Andre Reich as the CEO and also uh, Stephen Fisher as chairman. Now, um, Stephen Fisher as chairman is currently chairman of Breville. And it's a company we know very, very well and done very well out of... Um, within WAM Capital and Andre's credentials, he's, he's um, ex-Kmart and um, learn his trade under Guy Russo. So I, I think why we like the reject shop is um, they're basically mod modelling their business off of highly successful Dollar General, which is actually owned by WAM, WAM Global within Katrina and Nick's fund. Um, and they're changing the store footprint to match Dollar General. And we actually see quite a, a strong store rollout of this business once uh, the cost base is in line and, and, and the, the strategy is underway. Um, and we see the ability of this business to potentially be 500 stores into the longer term. So um, we do like this business. It's done very, very well for us. Um, but yeah, we do see a very strong long-term growth potential for this business under the new management. Thanks, Oscar. And Tobias, this question's from Andrew. Um, do you still hold Citadel? And if so, what do you see as the catalyst? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, we, Citadel is still one of our largest positions. We are still very uh, positive on the name. It's, it's one of those uh, undervalued tech companies trading on, I think, uh, on our numbers, uh, 14 times FY22 PE. Um, What's missed by the market is is the well-being acquisition right before COVID. And we think there's a lot of revenue synergies that they can derive from the, the merger. Um, in terms of, you know, the catalyst for us is contract awards, um, particularly a potential large contract award out of the UK. Excellent. And thanks very much. Oscar, next question is for you, and it's from Trevor. I've noticed WAM and Microcap will hold companies simultaneously. Can you explain how that works? Yes, thanks for the Trevor. Thanks for the question, Trevor. Um, no, I think this is the real synergy that we see within WAM Microcap and WAM Capital when we first launched the Microcap fund. You know, there's a few stocks I can give good examples around that. I mean, um, City Chic was a great example where we first bought shares in the microcap um, fund. We bought it at 25 cents. You know, we've done all the work on it. Um, and I remember it went up to, share price went up to 60 cents. There was a, a, a long-term um, shareholder there, at 10% of the company. Um, he had witnessed the pain from the share price falling from, say, I think it was like $2 to 60 cents and wanted to get out when it just had a little run over a few months. And because we'd done the work on it, we bought it into WAM Capital. Now, what we then saw was that as the share price started to run and the, and the, the business started to outperform expectations, a number of our small cap um, competitors started to buy, buy the shares in City Sheik. And you know, today the share price is you know, close, close to $3.60. And there's plenty of examples within the portfolio of that. Um, Temple and Webster, I think we first bought into WAM Capital at $1.50. Today it's almost $8. John's Ling, we bought, I think it was at $1.20. 
So I guess the real synergy to summarise is um, we will do the because where microcap is focusing on very small companies. When we've done the work on these companies and we become more confident that they're going to become a much bigger company uh, in the future, then we'll, we're, we're comfortable taking a, a, a position within WAM Capital. Yeah, and, and, and another thing that just just in terms of the benefit for the whole group of, of adding microcap is as WAM Capital, you know, had grown and you know, been very successful in terms of performing. Yeah, you know, it kept. Yeah, you know, it was getting bigger, and so you know, the really, really, you know, sorry, the small companies. Um, yeah, you know, in terms of time allocation, yeah, you know, how much time, yeah, you know, do we spend looking at those smaller companies? And as we've seen, yeah, you know, with the likes of Afterpay, you know, some of these you know, microcaps can be end up being, you know, very, very, very large companies. So it really gives us that bridge. Um, now that we've got microcap, what we did before we actually had microcap, so we kept looking at the small companies, we sort of notionally said, look, 10% of the um, WAM capital portfolio will look at microcaps. But the great thing is this way is, you know, we've got resources just looking at those really small companies. Um, you know, the, the question is, you know, people have asked, oh, look, would you do a nano cap, you know, the next level down? Um, and then would you do a pre-IPO? Um, you know, obviously they've, they've got very different, you know, they're all, the further you go down and the smaller the company, obviously the risk profile you're taking increases. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, just add a bit of the logic there. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff and Oscar. Um, Oscar, your view on Alliance Airlines from Lakshan. Yes, well, thanks for the question. I mean, Alliance Aviation just, just had their result um, late last week. Um, it was a very good result, beat expectations. We really like this one longer term. And, you know, it's, it, I've got a friend who works in airlines and he, I was telling him about Alliance Aviation. He said, are you mad? Like you... There's no way you'd want to invest in an airline right at the moment. But these guys are benefiting um, really from Virgin. Um, so Virgin obviously has been through its issues, um, going through voluntary administration, has pulled out a number of flights within regional um, Queensland and regional New South Wales. Um, Alliance Aviation, through the history, has shown ability to um, buy uh, planes globally at very cheap prices. Uh, the business started in September 11. Back in 2001, obviously the airline industry got smashed then. Um, so they bought these planes really well, and effectively they're going to run them on, on behalf of Virgin uh, within regional Queensland, so, and also with a number of the mining companies. So it's a, very, um, it's a much more stable business um, as an airline um, that compared to, say, Qantas and obviously Virgin because it's long-term contract and it's quite recurring. So we see the ability of earnings in this business to go up 40 to 50% over the next two years, so we're very positive on this one. We also own this one in WAM Capital. Thanks, Oscar. And next question is uh, from Brenda. Can you comment on how the start of earnings season has gone uh, with respect to the WAM microcap portfolio? Yeah, look, thanks, Brenda. Um, look, we had a very good July. Um, look, it was probably... Um, yeah, it was a very good July. We had a number of companies um, update the market through that period. Um, 
uh, companies such as Redbubble, Marley Spoon, um, Alliance Aviation. So we started reporting season really well, probably the best July we've had since we've had the WAM Microcap Fund. Great. And, and staying with you, Oscar, next question from Mal. Can you comment on the likelihood of a capital raising by AMA Group given the uncertainties created by stage four lockdowns in Melbourne. And we've actually had two other questions from others uh, on, on AMA Group in general, your, your view on the company. Yeah, so we, we bought AMA um, back in, um, was it, in April, and that and there was pretty simple around the thesis around that. At the time, the COVID cases were declining and similar to Tourism Holdings, which I explained before, we just think there's more people that are going to be using or driving their car to work or driving on a holiday um, and won't be using public transport and or, or, or taking a cruise or, or flying a plane. So we at the time, we thought there was a lot of fear around AMA's balance sheet and we thought um, effectively this, this thesis would come through and they wouldn't need to raise equity. Now, I guess what we've seen with the company through over the last few months is they've continually come, in, come out to the market saying that their balance sheet's fine. Uh, we've seen them come out and say that the lenders are basically ignoring covenants, at least for the next 12 months. Um, so we do think in relation to, I guess, the Victorian lockdown that um, that they won't need to raise equity um, specifically around that. But, however, I do think this, is a, this business is a roll-up. It's looking to acquire. It's got a board that's very keen to grow. So I do think, um, you know, assuming um, AMA comes through the result, um, doesn't need to raise equity because of um, because of what's happened in Victoria. The share price recovers. We'll probably see, in our view, a capital raising within the next 12 months, but this will be largely to, to fuel ac acquisition. So, look, to answer your question, I don't think they need to raise equity at this point in time, um, but I think they will over time uh, to, make, to make acquisitions, at least over the next 12 months. Excellent. Thanks very much, Oscar. Tobias, next question is for you. Do you on uh, on JB Hi-Fi? Yeah, th thanks, James. Um, look, we're positive JB Hi-Fi going into the results. Um, you know, we think consumers are redirecting their travel budgets and buying, you know, consumer electronics and homeware and furnitures. Um, so, we, you know, from the industry work that we've done, you know, we think the um, demand profile is, is still very strong. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out over the next 12 months. But in the short term, we are positive uh, JB Hi-Fi. Thanks very much. Um, so, Jeff, we, we just have back back to the the SPP. We we have a few more questions on on the the pricing and the NTA. Um, obviously, oh, we'll, yeah, we'll be yeah, announcing sure. NTA on or before Friday, the 14th. But um, yeah, that's right. Mechanism. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, that's right. I mean, the the you'll see in the announcement the um, the board can uh, the, the plan was to issue the um, you know the shares at the NTA, uh, and that's the NTA as of the end of last month. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll announce that um, yeah Friday. Uh, and, and the figure, you know, just just looking at the you know, it hasn't been signed off by. Uh, all the accounting uh, side, but just sort of uh, you know doing a a um, you know, just trying to work through it. Um, yeah, it would be it'll be under a dollar forty. Uh, and then also in the announcement, we said um, yeah there was also flexibility um, 
with the board, you know, depending on how the share prices um, share prices tracking. So it looks like the share price is trading uh, at a, a little bit of a premium, you know, a premium to NTA, and um, and yeah, when when we announce that, um, yeah, you know, that then people will know the exact price. Um, the in terms of yeah you know, the, the you know, what we're doing in this raising is we're looking for people that are, you know, are coming in on a fair price. Obviously, there's no brokerage, um, you know, so there's a slight advantage, uh, and people that are taking a medium long-term view um, on investing in microcap companies, which you know, as we've seen, you know, can you know, perform extremely well. You are actually taking more risk you know, in terms of your portfolio. Um, you know, because it's you know they're smaller companies, so they're high risk. So if they're great managers, and you know, I mean, I can't thank you know, as as a you know, reasonable size shareholder in Microcap, you know, I can't thank um, Oscar Tobias and the team more. Um, but you know, they've really weathered the last twelve months well. Thank you, Jeff. Um, Tobias, next question is for you. Why has uh, Ainsworth Game Technology not performed like Aristocrat? Thanks, James. I mean, for us, you know, we have Aristocrat in WAM Capital. You know, for us, these companies, it's all about um, product innovation and leadership, and Aristocrat is, is the best player and the leading player in the world. So, you know, the product innovation is, is, is definitely leading the likes of someone like Ainsworth. Um, the other reason is uh, Aristocrat has a big, a big exposure to digital gaming. So these are online games, um, which um, attract a higher valuation um, globally in terms of other comps. Um, so these are the two key reasons. That's great. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Tobias. And we'll now move to telephone callers. Uh, so thank you, everyone, for participating via the, the webinar. And for the phone audience, if you'd like to ask a question, you can do so by pressing the star key followed by the digit 1 on your touchtone telephone. A voice prompt on your phone line will indicate when your line is open. Please state your name before posing your question. Again, that is star one if you'd like to ask a question, and we'll pause for a moment to assemble our queue. Again, that is star one, and we'll take our first question. Hello, it's uh, Stuart here. How are you going? Hi, Stuart. I was wondering if you could explain... I've been a long-term holder in uh, WAM microcap. And so the dividend that's being paid to sophisticated investors if they participate in the placement is a dividend that's been accumulated over time for existing shareholders, and that's now possibly being paid out to sophisticated investors that invest in the placement. I was just wondering, is that fair to existing shareholders? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. Because effectively the dividend's been paid to everyone. That's the people in the share purchase plan or the sophisticated. And and the only reason we've got the sophisticated one there is is you, know, you, you could have a situation where like someone's got you know ten thousand shares and and they can 
under the share purchase plan, they can actually triple their, they, they can apply for $30,000 worth of shares where someone might have, um, uh, you know, might have a million shares uh, and they can only apply for $30,000 um, know, worth of shares. So the, um, you know, the placement is just there so you know, that those larger shareholders and, you know, the placement's only for, you know, microcap shareholders. Those larger shareholders don't don't get diluted. Um, in terms of the um, yeah, so so in terms of the dividend, yeah, that that's it's exactly the same as a share purchase plan. Um, yeah, we could have you know as a board we could have done an ex dividend. Um, uh, yeah, and the board sort of the, the decision was you know, do it as a little bit of a reward for shareholders. Um, and you know, we're going to try to you know, try to make sure it's as you know, it's as equitable as possible. Um, so the sophisticated investors aren't a group of other people. Um, you know, they're, they're the it's to the when microcap larger shareholders. That's just so they don't get diluted. And in terms of the the ratio, um, you'll see under the share purchase plan, you know, the, there's uh, doubly amount of capital as as um, been put aside for the share purchase plan as it is for the for the placement. Now, if we didn't do the placement, then you know, then that's probably that's you know, not fair on the larger shareholders. I mean, the other choice is we do a rights issue. The rights issue tends to have a negative impact on the share price. Um, you know, that was sort of the other other thing, and and it. And it takes a period of time because, um, you know, this is sort of a quicker way. And because Oscar and the boys, you know, as I said, they sort of participated in you know, nearly 40 you know, capital raisings in the last few months. And we're seeing two or three a day. So the logic was, um, and, you know, there's, the opportunities tend to be here. At the moment, so let's raise the capital and get a return on that capital. Okay, thank you. My confusion then was whether the placement was for existing uh, microcap shareholders or just open to any sophisticated investor. Yeah, no, 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 existing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, existing. Excellent, and thank you very much to everyone for doing a great job. It's fantastic. As you know, we've got oh, to keep it up. Oh, thanks for the feedback. <laughs> thanks. And again, for the phone audience, it is star one if you'd like to ask a question. Moving on, we'll take our next question. Uh, good morning, Jeff, uh, Oscar, and Tobias. This is Noel. Um, just two questions. Um, one, first one's just a housekeeping one, really. I don't think I've seen an email telling me how to apply for uh, a placement um, in the offer. Um, and so therefore I'm asking how, how, how does one go about that? And the second one is... Yeah, you, um, you, you'll... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just on that, you'll you'll need to... Because effectively it's um, that's sort of coordinated through a, a stockbroker. Uh, and it's Hamish Nan at Taylor Collinson, uh, and his phone number is in the that was in the announcement. 
um, and, he, and because you've you've got a um, he's got to check that you're you are you know you classify mm-hmm. as that unfortunately the government does classify as a sophisticated investor um, and Hamish is uh, James have you got his I looked it up a minute ago have you got his mobile number oh sorry his his landline there actually I found it here it is it's oh eight um eight two one seven three nine oh eight got it so Thank that's you. <clears throat> um and the second question was um I know these uh, calls usually uh, highlight some 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 of the more impressive um successes that you've had with uh, share, share uh, stock picking and so forth which is fine but you'd probably better tell us about your your worst stuff up and, and, and yeah, yeah, okay. Why don't, why don't, hey, yeah, why don't we, hey, Tobias and Oscar, one of a couple of, a couple of, you know, disasters or stuff ups or. Oh yeah, it's done. No, don't worry. There's plenty of them. Um, I can't believe I haven't had a question on Maya uh, today. Jeez. Oh yeah, um, exactly. That's right. That's, that's that's been a disaster. That's for sure. Um, although, look, to be fair, it's like God, you couldn't be in a worse business if you tried. Over COVID, and they did actually have a pretty good announcement a couple of days ago. They've re- re- refinanced their debt, and they're actually going to come in with the net cash balance sheet. So, yeah, but clearly, given our views around e-commerce, I mean, um, Meyer is obviously going to be impacted by that. But I guess the, the interesting thing with Meyer, they actually have 450 mil, I think it is, I think on our estimates uh, of online sales within the business. So, yeah, it's potential that they could actually get that to say a billion dollars over the next few years. So. Look, it's yeah, Meyer's been a disaster clearly um, for us. It's not just in Wham Micro Cap, but also in Wham Capital. Um, also, I think I was just um, looking at the share prices this morning. I mean, it's funny through the the, the COVID um, period, we made a lot of good decisions. We also made quite a few bad ones. And there was a stock we knew so well called Data Three. Um, it was it was one of our best performers for at least two to three years. And I think if you had a look at the DTL share price. I think we sold our last share at um, two dollars fifty, <laughs> and today the share price is you know close to six dollars, um, unfortunately. So we did buy quite a number of companies like John Ling, City Sheik, Infomedia at the bottom of the of COVID, but there was one that we did sell, and you know Data Three is, is one company that's a huge beneficiary of what's happening at the moment um, uh, with, with COVID and lockdown. So we unfortunately missed that, but. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, there's obviously through, we, as Jeff said at the start of the call, we had to totally change the portfolio through February. I think when I was, when we when we uh, presented to you guys in November, we said, you know, we're quite positive on the housing market. So our, our micro cap portfolio was full of housing stocks in February. Now they'd gone very well for us, but we had to, you know, we had, we had to basically sell quite a few of them, unfortunately, and then totally change the portfolio. So Look, long list of long list of companies that disappointed. That's for sure. Tobias, so I miss any there? Yeah, it's, you've missed quite a few. But, uh, <laughs> I think we'll run out of time. <laughs> yeah. and, and just on that, right. the, you've got to remember, that, you know, when the you know, the logic of investing in Maya was was really the management, the, the catalyst for us was the management change. We knew it was a difficult industry. Um, yeah, it was really about the um, yeah the the catalyst, new management, and we thought we could at least double our money. That was the logic. Obviously, COVID came, and then and then we had a substantial shareholding 
Uh, and I, I remember Oscar, you know, going through the portfolio and saying, "Look, there's I think there's five or six companies that you know this was in the first week of, of COVID because when there's a major adjustment in the in in um, yeah, in markets, then you know that things are going to be different, uh, and you've got to readjust your portfolio. Yeah, you know, try to take as you know, much pain as quickly as you can, or as little pain as quickly as you can, and try to restructure the portfolio. And that that does take time. Um, yeah, you just can't, unfortunately you just can't do it. You know, in in an hour. Um, and you know, I think Oscar said, look, there's five or six companies. You think, Things could go under. Maya was one of them, um, and I mean Virgin was another one. And we we sold out of Virgin. That was a that was an error uh, in, in retrospect. But the, we bought it. You know, the catalyst was the cost out what, um, program, and un- unfortunately it didn't work for us. Um, yeah. So and that was sold. Um, yeah. So we did get some money off the table there. But yeah, don't, don't worry. There's yeah. There's at least forty to fifty percent. Of you know, our, our stock selections aren't, aren't aren't the good ones. I don't feel so bad now. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and again, for the phone audience, that is star one. If you'd like to ask a question, moving on, we'll take our next question. Uh, good morning, uh, gentlemen. Uh, it's just a, a general question that I wanted to ask. It's Jeff Thomas speaking, uh, Jeff. Uh, regarding um, portfolio construction and also the Pareto theory, the you know, 80 per 20, 20 theory, you know, about how uh, 20% of your portfolio gives 80% of your best results and, and that type of thing. So I just wanted what this could be generally over any portfolio, but what is the ideal number of, of stocks to hold? What's your view? Oh, I think um, it just depends on the opportunities you see, really, and what fits our investment process. So I wouldn't say there's a strict number of stocks that we adhere to or, or a minimum or a maximum. Um, I think looking through the portfolio at the moment, I think we've got around uh, 60 positions in the portfolio. Um, yeah, and I guess that that one of the successes of the portfolio, I guess you could say, over the last, um, and some, certainly some of the things Tobias and I have sort of been working on over the last couple of years is getting our weightings right. So, yeah, we have big weightings in Templeton Webster, Marley Spoon, Red Bubble, um, you know, Alliance Aviation. We've talked about today AMA in, into what we thought was you know result periods or potential trading updates, and I think that's one of the reasons why the portfolio did perform strongly. But I think in summary, I think, yeah, it just depends on your levels of conviction on, on the stocks that you're investing in, their valuation, and of course, like what, what are the catalysts? And yeah, that's a, a key feature of, of, of our investment process. So if we see strong catalysts, um, we're happy to, we're content to increase the weighting of the company that we're invested in. Okay. Is there any, like, what, what's your thoughts on this, Jeff? I'm interested because it's, Sometimes uh, I've found yeah. that the more have the the more you know how do you follow them all? How do you keep track of them all? What's what's the human capability yeah. of uh, of people to track how many stocks can you really know inside out? Yeah, I mean the, the tricky thing is it, it's sort of risk reward. And I think did Buffett say years ago, hey look, it, you know, 
in his life, he's 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 made six good investment decisions or something like that. Oh, that's all you need to do. And so that's in, in theory, it's more sort of have highly concentrated uh, because obviously it, it's risk reward. You know, the I mean personally, before I started, you know, go back 22 years ago when I was you know, broking and and managing my own super fund. Yeah, you know, I, I would take you know, highly concentrated positions. You know, would be. You know, I, I might have 30% of my money in one stock or um, you know, probably hold big cash levels and, and very concentrated. And it's really, you know, my logic, I, I was trying to hit the ball out of the park. Um, when you're managing, and sort of when I, I started, you know, when I set up Wilson Asset Management 21 years ago, the, the logic was, well, am I, you know, I, I really don't want to take that amount of risk you know, with other people's money. Um, you know, I, I'm, and so what I was, what I was trying to do was, I thought if I could do, and this is you know when I set up Wham Capital, yeah, you know, um, if I could do two percent a month, uh, it was absolute two percent. Then I'm doing twenty four percent a year. That was that was sort of what I had in my head. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't want to do a you know fifty percent and a ninety percent, even though. I think the first year I was up 57%, and the second year up 98% or something ridiculous. Um, but the, they were the, that was just um, a, a number of a number of the positions perform well, uh, and it's really we've tried to you know, we think of you know, one, two, and three percent. Obviously, um, you know, as weightings. Um, you know, so if you average you know two percent, that's 50 stocks, um, and, and we'll have. You know, greater weightings and lower weightings, and, and the more more confident we are, then then the higher the weighting will have. But we we, we don't run big concentrated portfolios, which some people do, uh, and and they will. You know, but you're taking a, a, a significantly different risk profile, and and plus we'll tend to we default to cash. You know, it's buying undervalued growth companies when we see a catalyst is going to change the valuation. Otherwise, we sit in cash, and as Oscar said, yeah, you know, we're sitting in in 16% cash. So, um, yeah, so that's sort of the, the thought process. Yeah, and just got, for a private individual, what would you think would be, having said uh, you've got a number of people working for you looking at these stocks and, and so you can afford to have 60 stocks in your portfolio, but just from a private individual, what would you think would be the optimum or best sort of stock weighting or holding in, in a portfolio? Well, don't they say? Isn't sort of all the all the numbers say you get maximum diversity diversification with twenty stocks? Um, so, yeah, in theory, if you want to uh, sort of understand twenty companies and have, you know, I, I think after you go after, over twenty companies, you know, the, the diversification you know, declines significantly. So, you, you know, maybe twenty companies, but that it really depends, you know, your risk. Uh, profile and, and the tough thing is, you know, for an an individual, you know, it's it's really hard to get, you know, access. And and what we've found is, you know, one of the great things about, you know, the Matt, you know, going and managing WAM leaders, you know, with Johnny, uh, is that the access. Um, we, we've always had good access at the bottom of the market, and 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 putting micro back in go this the access back down to the really small companies again. Um, and by going up, you know, with WAM leaders, then we, you know, we get the information, you know, 
I mean, the boys are talking to the banks you know, regularly and you know, so the quality of information. And, and, and in this game, in the investment game, it's really the high. Whoever gets the highest quality information tends to, tends to win, tends to perform the best. So, I mean, if you had... Yeah, it depends how much time you want to spend on them too. And, and you know, I suppose the tougher thing is medium-sized companies, if you're an individual, getting access to the, you know, the people that are going to make decisions. Like We like speaking to the, you know, the managing directors, the boards and you know, finance guys, etc. don't know if that helps right. you too much, Jeff. Oh, yeah, well, that's helpful, and thank you very much for that. Appreciate the presentation today as well, so thank you. No, thanks for your support. Moving on, we'll take our final question. Yeah, hi guys. Thanks for your time, firstly. Um, two questions, if you don't mind. The first one, I was just interested to know your involvement, Jeff, in the portfolio decisions within the microcap fund. Uh, and secondly, you know, how, how are you guys thinking about the interest rate environment going forward? And are you positioning the microcap fund for a certain environment, for, for higher rates in, say, you know, two years' time, or is that a different prospect? Yeah, I'll do the first part of the question, and you know, I'll score it to Bias. Why don't you do the second part of the question? The In, in terms of my um, involvement, just just with the business, you know, I, you know, Chief Investment Officer, so, um, yeah, I'll input where I can in terms of what I'm seeing, uh, you know what my thought processes are. Um, you know what I've seen historically, uh, and that's more as a, you know, as a probably more mentoring, I, I, if if you call it that, or, or passing on information. Um, you know during COVID we, um, you know we went from, you know sort of having weekly or, or you know two, twice a week uh, meetings. You know this is the investment team to have daily um, investment meetings and. And probably about oh, two months ago, we pulled them back to um, you know, twice a week, and now you know, now we pull them back to once a week because, in terms of the information we're getting, it was really we just needed to get as much quality information as we could, so and we could all sort of digest it. In terms of the you know, um, and in terms of playing around on the market, I tend to do the you know, be involved in more of the activist. Um, things or, or the you know, buying the LICs at discounts or you know, when um, you know, when with Meyer yeah you know, there was you know Solly was you know, um, playing his strategy out you know then sort of I, I got involved in that but in terms and it's more you know in terms of time allocation um, in terms of going and seeing the the you know the, the undervalued growth companies and and picking them, you know that's re that's you know, Oscar, you know Tobias, you know Sean and Sam, you know, you know and and Cooper, um, and actually maybe a bit of Tyler as well. Yeah, so they're the guys doing it. Um, you know I, I might collect some information somewhere and pass it on, um, you know or, or see observe something and pass it on, but it's it's really they're the guys that are doing all the hard work. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, the I, I, um, yeah, I, I was just going to add what Jeff was just saying. I mean, through this period, it's been incredibly uncertain, but the benefit of having, you know, Jeff and the team, the large cap team and the global team sort of giving that 
you know, their experiences and also the macro, their macroeconomic view has been incredibly, incredibly um, helpful for us, given we're sort of the, the opposite end, we're bottom-up stock pickers. So, um, you know, the teams, as I said, it's sort of, to start off the call, I couldn't have been happier just in terms of the, the wider investment team, um, how we've interacted and helped each other through this period. And it's because it has been very challenging. Um, look, on, on your question on interest rates, I think that that's our biggest fear, medium term. I think if you get a situation, you've, you, you've seen a huge amount of stimulus that's been pumped into the market. Now, let's say hypothetically, we do get a vaccine at some point over the next 12 months. It'll be positive for the market's near term, but if we all start spending again, we might see inflation. Now, if interest rates increase, then obviously that's going to be very negative for valuations, particularly for, if we look at the microcap sector, you know, the, the high-flying technology sector, and you could argue as well some of these e-commerce names as well. So how, how we're positioned for that, I think, look, as I sort of talked about in my opening um, remarks, um, we do have sort of, if you looked at our portfolio today, there are two buckets of in terms of how we're invested at the moment. So we've got those those companies that will benefit from lower interest rates for a period of time, such as your technology stocks, um, also your e-commerce. And then the, on the other side, you've got those cyclicals that have really been beaten up over the past, you know, caught, you know year, well, one to two years, really. But the balance sheets are very strong and they will benefit from an inflationary environment. So, look, at, at, to answer your question, look, we don't see interest rates going up for some time. I think, you know, two years is probably best case. Um, I guess from a microcap perspective, because it is very much a bottom-up stock-picking fund, um, I think it's it's fair to say that we think we're probably small enough and nimble enough that if that shift does occur faster than um, what we expect in terms of that two-year view, then you know, we, we can shift the portfolio pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I think sort of going forward, our feeling is, is that sort of technology companies um, have had a very strong run. And if we get a situation where cases decline globally, which it feels like we're heading towards there, then your cyclical, your deep value stocks will actually do quite well. And, you know, we do have quite a strong position in those stocks at this point in time. Yeah, great. Thank you for your time. Look, look thanks very much. Um, and we're just on, on the hour. So, look, thank you, everyone, for calling in. Yeah, thanks for your questions. If you have any other yeah, questions then yeah, please um, yeah, you can either ring the office and um, and speak to someone or leave your details and we'll get back to you uh, or, or uh, email us uh, because it is your company and and you know, we love you know, doing this you know, we love investing we love playing the game um, and thank you for providing us the opportunity to do that uh, and I you know, look forward to seeing you it, it, the roadshow one day. <laughs> um, so thank you very much. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. And again, the, and again that will conclude today's conference. We do thank you for your participation. The phone audience may now disconnect.